0: Hi, I'm Dr. Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com and you're watching Masterclass with Masterjohn. This is the fourth in a series of videos on the antioxidant defense system and today we are for the first time looking at a specific component of that system in detail and we're starting with vitamin E. You can see the structure of vitamin E on the screen and what's shown is alpha tocopherol. Vitamin E actually comes in eight forms and it can be split between tocopherols and tocotrienols. Within each of those, we have four subforms alpha, beta, gamma, and delta. If you see that there's a ring structure on the left and a tail structure on the right, the tail structure of all the tocopherols is the same and it differs from the tail structure of tocotrienols in that tocopherols have a saturated tail tocotrienols have double bonds in this tail that makes it unsaturated. The difference between alpha, beta, gamma, and delta is in the ring structure. Alpha tocopherol has three methyl groups in the ring structure. All of the other tocopherols have fewer than that and they differ based on the number and position of those methyl groups. If you were to compare alpha tocopherol to gamma tocopherol, that difference in methyl groups would, would be what you see different between them. But if you compare alpha-tocopherol to alpha-tocotrienol, the ring structure will be exactly the same and it'll be the tail structure that differs. The name tocopherol comes from the Greek tokos, meaning birth-giving, ferro, to carry, and the suffix all, which means it's an alcohol. In chemistry, anything that has a hydroxyl group, OH, is an alcohol. And so the name tocopherol means an alcohol that helps a mother carry a pregnancy to term and give birth. And that's because when we first discovered vitamin E deficiency, it was associated with infertility. Now tocotrienol is a later name where triene means three double bonds. And so that refers to the number of double bonds that are in tail and that's where that name comes from. Although vitamin E was originally known as the fertility vitamin, we now know from its chemistry that its function is to convert lipid peroxyl radicals to lipid peroxides and thereby avert lipid peroxidation chain reactions in cellular membranes. This is the only well-established role as a direct antioxidant in this context. There are a lot of other things that we believe vitamin E does like regulate gene expression but it's not clear if it does them independently from this process because oxidation and lipid peroxidation affects many other cellular processes. So to date there's no real clear evidence that vitamin E does anything that can't be traced directly to its role as an antioxidant in this context. And so we can look at the infertility that originally came with vitamin E deficiency and we can say that was due to lipid peroxidation. Similarly we could say Lipid peroxidation is believed to play a role in many other chronic degenerative diseases that are more common today, and so wherever you see oxidative stress and lipid peroxidation, there's good reason to think vitamin E may be protective. Because vitamin E's role is to protect PUFAs, then you can see in the food supply, foods that have more PUFA in them will tend to have more vitamin E, but it doesn't all come in the same ratio. And the ratio of vitamin E to PUFA in the diet may be more important than the amount of vitamin E itself. If you look at the RDA for vitamin E, for most adults it's 15 milligrams per day but that can vary with lactation and pregnancy and it can vary with age. So we see that the RDA takes into contextual factors sex, age, pregnancy and lactation but not PUFA intake. That can be misleading because if you look at the actual DRI report, you can see that they clearly believed that vitamin E requirements depend on PUFA intake. This is a direct quote from the report that underlies the current RDA for vitamin E. Vitamin E requirements have been reported to increase when intakes of polyunsaturated fatty acids or PUFAs are increased. Based on these data it was suggested that a ratio of at least 0.4 milligrams alpha-tocopherol per gram PUFA should be consumed. However, the method of determining the vitamin E requirement generated by PUFA intakes is not universally accepted because the amount of vitamin E required to stabilize PUFAs in tissues is influenced to a greater extent by their degree of unsaturation than by their mass. What that means is that You can consume linoleic acid from vegetable oil that has two double bonds, but you can also consume EPA from fish oil that has five double bonds or DHA from fish oil that has six double bonds. EPA and DHA are more vulnerable to peroxidation than linoleic acid because they have more double bonds. Moreover, PUFAs are not deposited in the tissues in the same proportions that they occur in the diet. In other words, You eat a given amount of PUFA, but it's not the amount that you eat, it's the amount that winds up in your membranes that actually makes you need more vitamin E. One is influenced by the other, but it's not the same as the other. They go on. Finally, dietary PUFAs are modified by elongation and desaturation. That means you can eat linoleic acid, but then you can make it longer and introduce more double bonds and turn it into something like arachidonic acid, which is more vulnerable to peroxidation. Or you can consume something like alpha-linolenic acid and convert it from flax oil and convert it to EPA or DHA which is longer, and has more double bonds and is more vulnerable to peroxidation. They go on and are catabolized to various degrees depending on energy status. That means if you're in a caloric deficit, you're going to burn PUFAs for energy and so they're not going to influence your vitamin E requirement but if you're in a caloric excess you're going to store them in your membranes more often or in your adipose tissue and that is going to influence your vitamin E requirement. They conclude, although it is clear that the relationship between dietary PUFA and vitamin E need is not simple, high PUFA intakes should certainly be accompanied by increased vitamin E intakes. How often do you see scientists say certainly? Not very often. So this is really important because if you just look at the RDA itself PUFA is nowhere to be seen. But if you read the report, they state clearly that the reason they didn't express the RDA per gram PUFA is because there's no straightforward mathematical calculation to express it in that way. But the principle that the more PUFA you eat, the more vitamin E you need, is solid, so solid they call it certain. Now that's really important because if you look at how vitamin E is distributed in foods you get a very different picture if you express it per gram PUFA than if you express it total amount in the food. The data that's on the screen I used alpha and and gamma tocopherol because these are the major forms of vitamin E that are important but you would get similar results if you just looked at alpha tocopherol or if you took total vitamin E. What you see is that when you only look at the amount of vitamin E in the food, wheat germ oil looks way better than everything else. Corn oil is pretty hot itself. Palm oil is pretty good, but not as good as corn oil. Butter's terrible, and olive oil is kind of it. But if you express that per gram pufo, what you see is that all of a sudden palm oil is the best. Butter's still not as good as olive oil, but the difference isn't as big. And wheat germ oil no longer takes the lead. Well when we're looking at something like butter we also have to take into account what was the cow eating. And when cows eat grass, which is high in photosynthetic activity, they wind up with more vitamin E in their meat and their butter than when they eat grain. So let's take a look at what's happening in photosynthesis to see why that's the case. In photosynthesis we take energy from sunlight, and we combine hydrogen from water with carbon and oxygen from carbon dioxide and that makes sugar. There's some oxygen left over and that gets released into the atmosphere but oxygen in high concentration especially in the presence of ultraviolet light from the sunlight can be converted into reactive oxygen species like superoxide and hydrogen peroxide. The plant requires vitamin E to protect its PUFAs from reactive oxygen species just like we do. So a plant that has high photosynthetic activity needs a lot of vitamin E to protect against that oxidative liability from the oxygen and the ultraviolet light. So if we add corn as representative of grains and lettuce as representative of greens to our chart, we see that they're meaningless if you look at total vitamin E. But if you look at vitamin E per gram PUFA, lettuce as a leafy green comes out way ahead of most other things on this list, even ahead of palm oil. Now for humans, we're not going to eat lettuce as most of our calories, so that's not that important for directly eating it. But when we think about the animal products we use, a cow can eat most of its calories as grass. And so if the cow's eating grass instead of eating grain, the cow's going to get a lot more vitamin E in its diet and that's because this grass is heavily photosynthesizing so its PUFAs are very vulnerable, whereas the grain not only is it not photosynthesizing but it's metabolically dormant so there's very little risk of its PUFAs getting harmed by reactive oxygen species. If you look across studies at the vitamin E content of grass-fed and grain-fed beef, You see grass-fed always comes out on top whether it's 4 versus less than 1, 3 versus 1.5, 2 versus less than 1, and so on. Grass-fed beef is generally 1.3 to 5.4 fold higher in vitamin E than grain-fed beef. Similar results you'd get from butter and that reflects the fact that cows that eat grass are eating photosynthetic tissues that need a lot of vitamin E and therefore contain a lot of vitamin E and provide a lot of vitamin E to the cow. If we add into our list of fats and oils grass-fed butter, then it comes out a little bit better than olive oil. Way better than butter from cows fed hay or average butter that you'd find in the supermarket. And although it's not as good as palm oil, it's better than corn oil and it's pretty competitive with wheat germ oil. So the vitamin E to PUFA ratio matters a lot and the method of production matters a lot. If we look at how vitamin E is digested, absorbed and transported, it has some implications for our diet. Let's take absorption first. If this cylinder is the small intestine, we eat vitamin E and it's incorporated with bile acids and pancreatic enzymes into what we call the mixed micelle. That then is absorbed into the intestinal cell and repackaged. Now What's stimulating the production of the mixed micelle and the bile acids and the pancreatic enzymes is primarily the fat in our diet. If you think about the amount of fat we eat in a meal, it's measured in grams. If you think about the amount of vitamin E we eat in a meal, it's measured in milligrams. So there's way more stimulus from the fat to stimulate the fat digestion machinery than there is from the vitamin E. And so that fat says to our bodies, make more bile acids, make more pancreatic fat digesting enzymes, create more machinery to make the mixed micelle, and that helps us absorb vitamin E. What you see on the screen is data from a study where subjects were given either a fat-free meal, a low-fat meal, or a full-fat meal, and they tested how much vitamin E did they absorb. Though the fat-free meal was just an apple with a vitamin E supplement, the low-fat meal was the same thing plus a bagel with with low-fat cream cheese, and the full-fat meal was the same thing only the cream cheese was full fat instead of low-fat. The high-fat meal wasn't really that high in fat, it was 21% of calories, but it was a lot higher than the low-fat meal which was 6% of calories. On the left you can see that they absorbed 10% of vitamin E when it was in a fat-free meal, 20% with the low-fat meal, and 33% with the high-fat meal. So, by bringing fat from 0 to 6 to 21% of calories, you get this graded increase, and you triple your absorption of vitamin E by including the full fat cream cheese. Now, maybe if they had eaten 30 or 40% of their calories, they would have absorbed even more. But the principle here is the more fat you eat, the greater proportion of vitamin E you're going to absorb from the diet. If you're just eating natural foods, I would say that means eat some fat you don't have to eat a really high-fat diet, but you should have some fat in your diet to make sure you're absorbing your vitamin E. If you're going to take a vitamin E supplement, you should take it with the largest meal of the day, and if your fat varies a lot between different meals, you should take it with the meal that has the greatest amount of total fat to maximize its absorption. Now if we come back to this slide, we see that after vitamin E is absorbed, it gets repackaged in intestinal cells into chylomicrons. Those go into the lymph and then into the blood. And when they go into the blood, they can be taken up by peripheral tissues, meaning tissues other than the liver in this case, or the vitamin E can be exchanged with other lipoproteins like LDL and HDL, but most of it is going to get taken up by the liver. Now the liver has a protein called alpha-tocopherol transfer protein or alpha-TTP that recirculates the vitamin E into VLDL particles that go back into the blood. That VLDL can deliver alpha-tocopherol or other forms of vitamin E to the peripheral tissues again, and eventually it's digested into LDL. And this first uptake by peripheral tissues from the chalomicrons is relatively minor compared to the amount of vitamin E that's taken up by VLDL and LDL in the time after the vitamin E has gone through the liver and recirculated with alpha-TTP. Now this is important because there's a rare genetic defect in alpha TTP that makes it makes it really hard to get enough vitamin E from a natural diet, pretty much impossible so you have to supplement really high doses of vitamin E to overcome it. It also makes it really hard to get that vitamin E in the brain because alpha TTP also plays a role in getting vitamin E into the brain. But for people who don't have any genetic defects, alpha TTP also makes it, has some important implications for how we think about what we want to eat for vitamin E. The data on the screen shows the affinity of alpha TTP for the different forms of vitamin E. Alpha tocopherol is arbitrarily set at 100 percent and everything else is expressed as a percent affinity compared to alpha tocopherol. As you go from alpha to beta to gamma tocopherol you go from 100 to 38 percent to 9 percent. So alpha tocopherol has 100 excuse me, 10 times more affinity for alpha-TTP than gamma-tocopherol. If you go from tocopherol to tocotrienol, again, alpha-tocopherol has 10 times more affinity than alpha-tocotrienol. So alpha-tocopherol is overwhelmingly recirculated in preference to all the other forms. If we look at standard diets, most people are consuming more gamma-tocopherol than alpha-tocopherol. But once it goes to their liver, alpha-TTP recirculates a lot more alpha-tocopherol than gamma-tocopherol. And so in the blood of people eating a standard diet, there's a lot more alpha-tocopherol than gamma-tocopherol. The alternative to recirculation by alpha-TTP is enzymatic degradation to metabolites that are uh, excreted in the urine. So if you look at people on a standard diet, they have more gamma tocopherol metabolites in their urine than they do alpha tocopherol metabolites. Well why does it seem that our bodies are trying to concentrate alpha tocopherol? What you see on the screen is a comparison of the structures of alpha and gamma. Alpha is on the top and gamma is on the bottom. Alpha tocopherol has three methyl groups whereas gamma tocopherol only has two and in place of the third methyl group it just has a hydrogen that makes alpha tocopherol a much better antioxidant because when alpha tocopherol donates an electron it needs to stay stable until it can reach vitamin C to be recycled. When it donates an electron it is now a free radical and so it's in great danger of pairing up that electron before it gets to vitamin C. So what it does is it passes the unpaired electron from one methyl group to the next like a hot potato. And that circulation of the unpaired electron from one to the next to the next to the next is something called resonance that uh, is a chemistry term. If you look at gamma tocopherol, it only has two methyl groups so it will pass back and forth the unpaired electron like a hot potato, but it can't keep it stable anywhere near as well as alpha-tocopherol can because it only has this small space of the ring that can engage in this resonance instead of this large space fully around the ring. So alpha-tocopherol is preferentially recirculated probably because it is a much better antioxidant than the other forms. However, you could make a case that gamma-tocopherol may have unique roles that alpha-tocopherol doesn't have. When we look at superoxide, one of the things that it can do is react with nitric oxide to form peroxynitrite. And peroxynitrite is very dangerous reactive nitrogen species. Because gamma tocopherol does not have a methyl group here, it can accept nitrogen where alpha tocopherol can't. And gamma tocopherol can scavenge peroxynitrite to form a stable product known as tocopherol or NGT. So it may be the case that gamma tocopherol plays a unique role in scavenging reactive nitrogen species. To date, we don't really know that gamma tocopherol is uniquely important, but we do know that natural diets would always lead to circulating gamma tocopherol in the blood, and natural diets would always contain a mix of different tocopherols and tocotrienols. If you consume an alpha tocopherol supplement that instead of providing 10 or 15 or 20 milligrams like you could maybe get from food provides 1, 2, 3, or 400 milligrams, then alpha tocopherol goes into the liver is 10 times more pro- more likely to be recirculated into the blood And if you have 10 times more alpha-tocopherol than other forms of vitamin E, you're going to wash out alpha-TTP. Alpha-TTP is going to be flooded by nothing but this alpha-tocopherol that has such a high affinity for, and you're going to drown out the other forms of vitamin E like gamma-tocopherol in the blood. And vitamin E supplementation with alpha-tocopherol has been shown to cut gamma-tocopherol levels by large amounts. So what that means is that it's Wise that if you're going to take a vitamin E supplement, it should contain some gamma-tocopherol and some of the other forms of vitamin E. My personal preference is to use things like grass-fed butter and palm oil. Palm oil is rich in the full spectrum of tocopherols and tocotrienols, so I think it makes more sense to use moderate doses of the full spectrum of vitamin E forms than to use high doses just of, alpha, just of alpha-tocopherol but that doesn't change the fact that our bodies really seem hardwired to preferentially recirculate alpha tocopherol and we know from chemistry that alpha tocopherol is the most superior antioxidant out of all forms of vitamin E. So let's not megadose with alpha tocopherol and drown out all the other forms but let's also not lose sight of the fact that alpha tocopherol is super important and there's more evidence behind its importance than there is for any of the other forms of vitamin E. So what we wouldn't want to do is try to develop a supplement that just has gamma tocopherol in it or that only emphasizes these other forms of vitamin E without including alpha tocopherol which we know to be important. Alright, so to sum up, when you're looking at foods the vitamin E to PUFA ratio is a better index of how good a food is as a source of vitamin E than only looking at the amount of vitamin E in that food. When you eat vitamin E you need to eat it with fat to absorb it and it's better to get a full spectrum of natural forms of vitamin E than to megadose with only alpha tocopherol because it could drown out the other forms. So this was vitamin E. Next time is vitamin C and we'll continue to take apart each part of the antioxidant defense system as we move along. Signing off, this is Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com. You've been watching Masterclass with Masterjohn, and I'll see you in the next video.